Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. So, this week's lecture. The Talmud states that a person would rather have one measure of his own than nine measurements of another's. Another teaching states that in Egypt we ate bread of shame and only once we received the Torah and with it a cause and effect relationship with God that, and I quote the verse, if in my statutes you will work, walk and I will give your reins, and the verse goes on, have we begun to eat bread of honor? These teachings lend to our relationship with God being one of earning our keep. And with this, prayer would become one of bargaining with God over what we have earned. However, what we will discover in this lecture is that prayer is anything but bargaining. It is where we open ourselves up to God's grace. Now true, the Talmud is speaking to us of self-worth, which comes through earning our keep through responsibility and accountability and not through receiving unearned kindness. If so, why is prayer all about asking for God's grace? Webster's definition of grace is, and I quote, unmerited divine assistance. Hasidic teachings tell us that while studying God's Torah, we are as a student before our teacher, and with prayer, we are as a child before our father, pointing out the beauty of our relationship with God that is exclusively found through prayer. Why is prayer so intimate and beautiful if it turns to God for unmerited assistance, which we just defined as bread of shame? In truth, Hasidism teaches us that even the earnings of our cause and effect relationship with God is but for God's grace. The whole notion of earning something can only exist between two equals in which the work of one has fundamental value to the other and makes a difference for the other. Thus, when Mr. A does something for Mr. B, which has value to Mr. B and makes a difference to Mr. B, therefore Mr. A has earned payment from Mr. B. However, when we speak of God and us, of what fundamental value do our finite actions have before the omnipotent God? And of what difference do our actions create for God? As the scriptures state, and I quote a verse in Job, If you sinned, what did you do to him? And if your transgressions are many, what did you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he take from your hand? The end quote. Thus, in essence, it is only by the grace of God to us that we have a cause and effect relationship with God in which we can be responsible, accountable, and earn our bread of honor. 
And nevertheless, even this is not the true soul of prayer, in which we only accept that by God's grace we can earn anything by Him, and with that we come to speak of what we have earned. The true heart and soul of prayer is to ask of God for a matnat chinam, an undeserved free gift. How can this be the deeper relationship with God available to us through prayer? This leads us to the concept that we will be exploring through the modernity meets Judaism of this lecture. Many people work consciously on building true self-value and self-respect. We work with focus on ripping away codependence and on cutting down our reaction to external validation or depreciation only to then once again have the ear taken out of our sails by some unexpected event or comment. How does one find true infallible self-worth? In this lecture we will find the ultimate self-worth which will stand up to any and every attack made by the insecurity, fear, pain or evil intentions of others or of self. Let's begin with the introductions. The name of this week's Torah portion is Va'etchanan, which means, and he, Moses, and he prayed. After hitting the rock, instead of speaking to the rock as God has commanded him, Moses was punished that he would not be able to enter into the land of Israel. However, Moses has just begun conquering the land east of the Jordan River and for the, Jew for the Jewish people. Now, even though these lands did not carry the full weight of being a portion in the land of Israel, nevertheless, being that two and a half tribes was to settle there, Moses questioned whether God had forgiven him and released him from his punishment. And thus, Moses began to pray that he be allowed into the land of Israel. Sages even dwell into the numerology of the Hebrew word Va'etchanan, and he prayed which is 515. And they say that Moses prayed 515 prayers to be allowed into the land of Israel. Why 515 prayers? Well, from the five emotions faculties of his soul to the hundredth power, and then added another 15 prayers from the three dimensions of these five emotional factors, fac faculties, as they are recipient, the head, experiencer the center and giver the end. God then told Moses after his 515 prayers to stop praying and to accept God's verdict for ultimately it was for his benefit as a true and eternal leader of his specific generation which were also buried in the desert. Now you know what Vetchanan means, you know why he prayed, what led up to it. The question, however, is why does the verse use for the first time this terminology for prayer, Vetchanan? This is actually what propels the sages I quoted prior to look into the numerology value of the word. What is Vetchanan? Our sages tell us that there are 10 different terminologies in Hebrew for prayer. However, what is special about the terminology of Adhanan is that, and I quote Rashi on this word, the word Hanun and its derivatives 
in all cases is an expression signifying requesting a free gift. Even though the righteous may base a request on the merit of their good deeds, they request only a free gift of the, omnipre of the omnipresent. Because God had said to Moses, and I will favor Va'achinoti, when I wish to favor Achon. He, Moses, spoke to him, God, therefore, using the expression Va'etchanan. That is what Rashi explains about the word Va'etchanan. It is always a prayer requesting a free gift. As a matter of fact, our sages state upon this specific prayer of Moses, and I quote to you a teaching from the Sifri. There were two good providers for Israel, Moses and David, king of Israel, and were able to hang their requests upon good deeds and not to ask that God but give them gratis. This is an argumentum fortiori, in Hebrew called a kalvachome, and it works like this. And what if those who can hang upon having their good deeds transferred and instead ask it to be given them but gratis? Now those who are not but one of the thousands and thousands of thousands and myriads of thousands of pupils, how much more so he should not ask but for that it be given to him but gratis? Thus, that's the end of the quote from our sages. Thus, we see that the specific emphasis of the Va'etchanan form of prayer is that we are praying for to be given to us but for by the undeserved grace of God. Another introduction needed for this lecture is the two opinions of which Va'etchanan was. The Medrash Rabbah holds that Moses, Veschanan, his prayer of Veschanan, was one of the ten forms, the terminologies of prayer, while the Sifri holds that it was not one of the ten forms of prayer. Of what difference would this argument mean to us? Let's understand. Prayer as it manifests itself within the ten emanations of light and the way it manifests itself within the ten faculties of the soul should ideally be of that the individual has merits upon which he comes before God in prayer. Nevertheless, as mentioned before, recognizing that the entire relationship of cause and effect that we have with God is but by the grace of God, therefore, the individual prays not upon his merits, but turns to God's grace. However, ideally, he approaches into his prayer to God with having merits and is cognizant of his merits. When we say that Ve'eschanan is not of the ten forms of prayer, we are taking this prayer of Ve'eschanan up a notch and saying that it is not of the realm of the finite world of interrelation at all. Rather, we are saying that Vatchanan is of the realm of the infinite supernal crown, which is above and beyond the ten emanations of light, and the way it manifests itself within the ten faculties of the soul. I know this sounds Kabbalistic, just allow me to explain. So we will now jump from introductions into the heart of the lecture. 
However, to get into the heart of the lecture, we are going to have to begin with understanding the two dimensions of the supernal crown. The difference between bargaining with God and praying to God is the difference between Shabbat, in which any work is forbidden, and the six working weekdays. In the six working weekdays, we work for God and have our work rewarded through God's promises upon, as I quoted before the verse, and if in my statutes you will walk, I will give, and the verse goes on to say what God will give as a reward. However, on Shabbat, when all work is forbidden, we live off the manna, which is but for the grace of God. To be more specific, we pray on Shabbat, However, we also pray on every weekday. Prayer is the Shabbat experience of entreating the grace of God. Thus, weekday prayers are the Shabbat experience within the weekdays. However, there is a difference between the Shabbat experience of Shabbat prayers and the Shabbat experience of weekday prayers. The difference is the difference between the two dimensions of the supernal crown. The supernal crown is the source of the Shabbat experience. However, the higher dimension of the supernal crown is the Shabbat prayer, while the lower dimension of the supernal crown is the weekday prayers. Now, let us understand what the supernal crown represents and what the difference between the two dimensions of the supernal crown is. When we speak of the ten emanations of light, with the correlation and relationship with the ten faculties of the soul, we are speaking of God's finite linear light through which God has a cause and effect relationship with the universe. To the finite linear light, the world does make a difference and thus the work and merit of the human does play a role. When we speak of the supernal crown, we are speaking of God's infinite circular light to which the universe makes no difference, and thus the work and merit of man makes no difference. Thus, the Shabbat experience, prayer, which comes from the supernal crown, is not based upon any merit of the person and speaks to the grace of God. More, specific, more specifically, as we have explained, within the supernal crown there are two dimensions. Even though the crown represents transcendence, nevertheless, the inner fitting of the crown needs to be fitted to the size of the head. Thus, on the one hand, we are speaking of a crown, transcendence, the infinite circular light. And nevertheless, on the other hand, we are speaking of a fitted size to the finite linear light. This is the lower dimension of the supernal crown, transcendence, and yet related. This is the working weekday prayer, in which on the one hand is a working weekday, which is the finite linear light realm of cause and effect, and yet on the other hand it is prayer, which is of the supernal crown's infinite circular light's realm of grace. What we are speaking of here is that which we explained earlier, where in essence the person praying realizes that all and any of his merits did not earn a cause and effect reward from God. For all of cause and effect with God exists only by the grace of God. However, he does reflect upon his merits, 
for by the grace of God, they are of importance. The Shabbat experience of prayer on Shabbat is the higher dimension of the supernal crown, which does not have any fitted relationship with the finite universe. And thus, in this prayer, the merits are of no value at all. All that exists is the grace of God. According to the opinion of the Sifri, this was the Vatchanam prayer of Moses, the higher dimension of the supernal crown. Now here goes a big question. Of what difference does it make to us on what dimension Moses prayed? Moses was a faithful shepherd to his flock. Everything that Moses did was in order to feed us, the Jewish people, and the flock of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. Thus, let us look at God's answer to Moses' trying to imbue us with the higher dimension of the supernal crown prayer. Here is the verse which tells us in this week's Torah portion, right after the prayers, what God did grant Moses. And I quote the verse, Go up to the top of the hill, and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and see with your eyes for you shall not cross this Jordan. End of the verse. To understand what God is granting Moses and what God is not granting Moses we need to understand the power of sight according to Hasidism. Have you ever noticed that when someone sitting behind you stares at you you feel it and turn around? This is because, according to Jewish mysticism, the power of sight is not just to receive information from the outside. Rather, sight also has the very deep power of transmitting from our insides to others. Thus, God's granting Moses to see all of Israel was God granting to Moses to imbue all of Israel with his power of Va'eschanan prayer. Moses asked God to be able to cross the Jordan River and to actually enter into Israel, while God only granted Moses to see Israel. The reason for this is that even though the totality of selflessness is to embrace the total infinite indifference of the higher dimension of the supernal crown, nevertheless, the reason why God created the world is for us to work refine, elevate, and transform the world. Thus, God granted us the abstract power of Moses seeing Israel. But nevertheless, we would have to enter into Israel without Moses, experience exile, and work our way towards Mashiach, Messiah, and the final redemption. What is important to remember is that deeply embedded within us is the ultimate power of the Shabbat prayer experience of Shabbat to completely let go and embrace the absolute undeserved grace of God. In closing, let us return to the human condition with which we began this lecture. I will begin with the story of the young wave. Once there was a newborn wave which was born in the center of the ocean, 
The little wave was feeling greater and greater, mightier and mightier, as he kept on picking up power and speed, traveling through the vast ocean. Suddenly, as he began to approach shore, he broke out into a panic. A veteran wave passing by asked our young wave, What's the matter, son? The young wave answered, Look, we are going to die. We are going to crash against those rocks and die. To which the veteran wave responded, That all depends on how you see yourself, as a wave or as the ocean. As a young wave, we see ourselves as a human being struggling hard to have a divine experience through earning spiritual merits. The only, I'm sorry, Moses, our veteran wave. See, we are building, let's say that again, I'm sorry. As a young wave, we see ourselves as a human being struggling hard to have a divine experience through earning spiritual merits, and we build upon these merits our self-worth. Moses, our veteran wave, is imbuing us with the ultimate experience that we are in truth a divine being having a human experience. The only self-worth, my friends, the only self-worth that is infallible is when we see ourselves as part of the ocean, truly a piece of God and an existence of God's grace. This self-worth will stand the test of any trial, tribulation, pain, shame, and suffering. When we base our self-worth on our individual talents and achievements, it is inevitable that we will crash upon the jagged rocks of someone else's shore of insecurity, and then we will be ripped down. Thus, the practical teaching of this le lecture is breaking free of our need to be somebody that we made of ourselves and see that beneath it all we are somebody who God created us to be. See the imagery clearly in your mind, the ego of the young wave, the sudden panic, and the prayer of being able to see ourselves as nothing else than a part of God's infinite ocean. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.